Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Everybody, welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, your host for this excursion into broadcast. Excellent. They give me this microphone every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. They let me have it for two hours. What were they thinking, Glenn? <laughs> well, they, they're thinking that you're doing a fine job. They, they gave you two a hours. Fine job. They gave me two hours. Two hours, man. By the way, you haven't said anything about my... Uh, my uh, scruffage. Well, I'm I, a little offended, Glenn. If we were on TV, we would have talked about it because oh, okay. everybody would have noticed. Everybody it. would have noticed. You know, but yeah, you are. You are. Uh, it's like no shave November for you. It's no shave November all over again. You know, they told us not to touch our face, yeah. Glenn. Well, you're doing a good job of that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they and then they closed my barber shop. The governor has closed yeah. my barber shop. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm like. It's going to get hairy around here. I'm thinking we need to get on eBay and find a Floby. Uh, you know, I remember the 80s Floby. Floby? Yeah. I remember it well. I mean, I, I am curling up in the back, man. I need a haircut. Liz, Liz kind of laughed at me on uh, on Friday morning, but um, it's okay, Liz. I'm over it. I'm over it. So uh, we had an interest. Uh, I say interesting. I'm sorry, Rob. We had a, a heart, uh, a touching call from uh, Rob just before the break. Rob, I realize Mr. Producer has told me he does not have your contact information. So I want to tell you all again the numbers to contact the show. If you want to call in, it's 843-903-2945. And, of course, you can text your comments to us on the PCRX text line. Uh, we've heard from Will this morning over at Coastal Sports. We've heard from uh, Albert this morning. Thanks, thank you all for texting in we've heard from augie and uh, thank y'all for those comments uh but you can text us at uh, 798-8255 that's 843-798-TALK that's the pcrx text line but rob to your point if you would uh rob is the individual who called in just before the break and he because of a copd condition uh, does not does not find himself able to work he's in a self-imposed um a quarantine situation and his wife works in the restaurant business and um, so I tell you what Rob if you will do this if you will call my office and obviously I'm not there now but 843-839-9800 843-839-9800 is the number if you'll leave me a voicemail on my voicemail there at the office Rob that will find me uh, by email, wherever I am, uh, whenever you leave that message. If you'll leave your contact information, we'll be in touch. Uh, we will um, we will get you uh, in touch with some people who can help you. And so we'll uh, work on that if you will give me your contact information uh, by voicemail. wanted to share one thing with you all real quick, um, and um, I will uh, try to cover this quickly. There's a very interesting article that I read in uh, the American Institute for Economic Research, that's AIER.org. A friend of mine forwarded this to me. It says, um, it's, uh, and again, we're talking about th- these very difficult decisions that we have made that are forcing people out of work, that are uh, sending people home without pay. 
Um, and we're basing that information on models, which frankly are somewhat speculative in nature. The truth is we don't know exactly what the impact of all these uh, measures are. We are responding uh, to the uh, to this pandemic that essentially is in a manner that has uh, been employed since the Middle Ages and the bubonic plague. And frankly, it's not a lot more scientific than that. And that may shock you, but that's that's essentially what we're doing. We're uh, sheltering in place and avoiding the nasty fog so that hopefully we will not die. And there really is no clear uh, empirical data that supports exactly what we're doing. Uh, I would submit to you that we are feeling our way through this, and we may be overreacting. As I said, I think at one point earlier in the show, be reminded that we will lose 40,000 people from automobile accidents uh, this year. And that's uh, much more than we've lost uh, thus far to this pandemic. I'm not suggesting that the two are equivalent. So don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But having said that, nobody is suggesting that we stop selling cars or that we stop driving. So we do need to make informed, empirically based decisions because they're having dramatic impacts on people's lives, as we saw from that recent call. Interest, and, and that's just one example of millions. Andrew Cuomo, this is from the AIER piece that I mentioned, Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, is moving up in the betting odds for getting the Democratic presidential nomination, even though he isn't running. The reason is that binge-watching news hounds have noticed something about his comportment during this crisis. He seems just slightly struggling to know what's true. Sometimes he's even honest. Consider this. On Thursday, March 26, Cuomo dared question the orthodoxy that has wrecked countless businesses and lives. He revealed what actual experts are saying quietly all over the world, but which has not yet been discussed openly in the endless public relations spin broadcast all day and all night. What did Cuomo acknowledge, you may ask? He said the following. If you rethought that or had time to analyze that public health strategy, that's the shutdown strategy, I don't know that you would say quarantine everyone. I don't know that that was the best public health policy. Young people then quarantined with older people was probably not the best public health strategy because young people could have an effect of exposing older people to infection. Further, he said this, what we did was we closed everything down. That was our public health strategy. Just close everything. All businesses, old workers, young people, old people, short people, tall people, every school closed everything. This is, again, Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, last week. It's true that anyone following the unfolding fiasco and gradually emerging data behind it knows that Cuomo is right. The response has not been modern or scientific. It has been medieval and mystical. The theory behind the policy has been essentially a panicked cry to run and hide from the noxious gas before it gets you. Lacking reliable data, which is the fault of the CDC and the FDA, we have replaced knowledge with power. So it's an interesting argument, and we don't really know exactly what the right response to this strategy is. We are feeling our way through it. I would say on the other side of the coin, while I have not been very loud in voicing these opinions, is because my friends in the medical profession are genuinely scared. So it's an interesting discussion. We will continue that discussion after the break. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5. 
morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, your host. We're joined here on uh, phone lines by uh, Justin Kramer. Justin is the president of Pile Financial Services, and I wanted to bring Justin in today, this morning, just to give us a little brief update on the roller coaster ride that we've all been on, watching the stock market move up and down uh, vigorously. And uh, Justin, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good morning, Reese. Good to be with you. Good to, good to have you with us. Thank you for your time. Appreciate you uh, you joining us. I wanted to uh, let you uh, have a few moments to uh, tell the folks uh, your perspective. You are a financial planner, correct? Is that a fair is that a fair characterization? Yeah, we do uh, financial planning so that uh, across the country for families and um, and uh, clients. Yeah. Yep. And of course, I know you, and and I know Scott Pyle, and and the other folks at uh, uh, Pyle Financial Services have known you guys for many years, and uh, uh, have a lot of uh, confidence in in the way y'all operate, and and appreciate your opinions and your your wisdom in this in this area. So I wanted to just see if we could start. Can you give me just a like a kind of a your brief take on how the markets have responded to this crisis, and and what you see happening? Obviously, we're all we've we've seen the the drastic drops in the market but what's what's your kind of just overall take on what we've seen over the last few weeks yeah that's probably a good place to start for everybody uh, so our uh assessment of uh, why the market has dropped and we saw this thing roll over uh on February 19th so we are really about 6 weeks into um, sort of some unprecedented waters and there's really been four major drivers of the market. The first won't be any surprise. It's just like anything else. It's simply supply and demand. In any kind of situation, when too many people are selling or too many people are buying at the same time, the price either goes down or it goes up. And so immediately when people press the sell button, and now we have folks that are able to day trade their 401ks on their cell phones, we've got uh, computer technology and algorithms that have um, stop limits and other things that trigger automatically. So we, so we saw a ton, of, a ton of people sell at the same time. That's one reason. The second reason is maybe a little bit of a surprise, but it's a largely fear-based narrative coming from both mass media and social media. And, and let me maybe add some context to that. So many of your viewers or listeners will remember back in 2009, when we had the H1N1 virus, the swine flu. Sure. And the World Health Organization has said that they believe that the swine flu infected one out of six people in the world, which would be a little over a billion people infected by that virus. Secondly, they believe that 60 million Americans contracted that virus. And the estimates are that almost 600,000 people died from that very disease. And yet not one airplane was kept on the ground, not one border was closed, not one economy was shut down. And you sort of go back and say, well, what was the difference between, say, 2009 and 2020? And I'm not a doctor. I'm not, we're not trying to assess any medical differences. But one huge visible difference is that Facebook was just getting off the ground. There was no Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. There were no large communication mediums for narrative to be driven. And whether we like it or not, the masses control the narrative. And sure. so we've seen that a large fear-based narrative from every platform almost has been a huge driver down. The third reason, which 
sort of piggybacks on that is that the one thing that the markets hate more than anything, more than any Democrat, more than any Republican, more than any tax bill is uncertainty. And we simply haven't had enough data. And I think you're going to get to it later in your show. There's still so much about this disease, about the uh, uh, surroundings of how did the disease come out, all these questions that are still unanswered. Well, three, four weeks ago, we had even less data than that. And the market was pricing in literally a worst-case scenario. Quite frankly, everything short of Armageddon. Uh, Where we see the uh, market pricing in the last couple of weeks, it's assuming that the average corporation in America loses roughly 80% of their profits year over year. Just to, just to frame that in some context, yeah. in the throes of the financial crisis back in 2008 and nine, corporations lost about 50% of their profits. Wow. And we all know how bad that was. Yeah. So it's unreasonable how much the market has gone down based off of the, the economics. And then lastly and fourth, it, it has not helped uh, the little issue we've had going on with Putin and Saudi Arabia. Uh, the oil markets have certainly added pressure uh, to the virus and other things. So those would be the four big drivers as to sort of why we find ourselves where we find ourselves. Yeah. Is this sort of a just a general across-the-board decline? I know I've seen some particular shares that uh, that, that are really tanked. But what are the biggest uh, – I know the airlines have been hard hit. What are the biggest losers at the moment that, that are really taking the, the, the biggest beating if there, if there are those kinds of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think in, in, in what we call this uh, an event-driven crisis, right? Mm-hmm. This is not a financial or economic crisis at its core. It's an event-driven crisis. Sure. Um, so obviously this particular event hits things like hotels, uh, cruise lines, airlines. Uh, so, I mean, you've seen Boeing, Delta, Marriott, you know, all of them have gone down nearly 75%. Uh, year to date, which is wow. which is hard to fathom. The, the TSA um, published a uh, um, uh, public information earlier in the week, and so April first, twenty twenty, one hundred and thirty six thousand people traveled through TSA, and April first, twenty nineteen, so the year before, nearly two point two million on that same day traveled through TSA. So travel was down nearly ninety four percent year yeah. over year. Yeah. So those have been obviously some of the biggest losers. Yeah. Justin, we've got to go to a break uh, here from a, from a few of our sponsors. Speaking of finances, would you mind uh, hanging around uh, for a few minutes and joining us after the break? Yeah, of course. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, we'll be right back with more Justin Kramer right after these words from our sponsors with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, and more coming up next on Talk 94.5. Thanks for waking up with Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, on Talk everybody welcome back to saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour 822 on your saturday morning saturday april 4 2020 
Joined here on the phone by Justin Kramer, who is president of Pile Financial Services. We're talking to Justin about the coronavirus pandemic and the uh, incredible impact that it's had uh, specifically for this discussion on the markets. And uh, we've all been sort of rather astonished to see the, uh, the the bottom fall out of the market over the last few weeks. But uh, Justin's putting some perspective on that for us. Um, and Justin, wanted to continue the discussion. If some of our listeners are uneasy watching the balance in their 401k or their stock portfolio drop with every statement what what is the what strategy would you recommend what's the best thing to do yeah that's a really good question reese um you know a lot of uh advisors and families uh think that maybe just uh let let's uh let's abide by the old buy and hold strategy but in an environment like that that really feels like hey let's sit and take it and uh it doesn't really do much to to calm the nerves uh, and so we think that this is truly an unprecedented environment and uh, likely buy and hold uh, won't work for a number of industries because because of the impacts of the particular virus will linger with some sectors and some companies. Uh, it'll cause other companies to accelerate during it. I mean, think about Amazon and Walmart, uh, even Dollar General and CVS. Hiring people by 50, 100, 150,000. You know, it came out uh, two weeks ago that Amazon was going to hire 100,000 people to keep up with demand. They've already hired 80,000 of those people. So really, it would be a an assessment of based off of your risk tolerance, where you at in your season of life, um, and then making sure that your portfolio is aligned for what we believe will be the other side of this coin. Um, and making sure that your assets didn't just fall with the market, but they also recover with it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very interesting point. And I'll uh, take this opportunity to clarify that this program, uh, Justin, as we discussed, is not intended to provide uh, investment advice, but we're just discussing uh, one man's opinion on what's going on, and actually two men's opinion, three men's opinion, if if uh, if Glenn will <laughs> chime in. But uh, we don't we don't provide investment advice, and you're not offering uh, specific investment advice. But we are very interested to hear your opinions on what might be happening. It's it's interesting to think uh, on that note. One of the things I've thought about, you know, people are learning new ways of working. They're learning to, there's a lot of telecommuting going on. Uh, Some of these habits, as you said, there's going to be more shopping via Amazon, more online delivery. I think that the way we work, live, and play is going to be forever changed even after this virus is in the history books. Uh, Knock on wood. You know, we're praying that that happens sooner rather than later. But I think there there will be after effects of of this virus. of this pandemic that will always be with us for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I think we totally agree. Um, And it's not just in the way companies do business or people do work, but it's also in the way that we do relationships. I think that I think only history and time will tell, you know, what kind of significant impact this had to what we knew as our daily lives. I think that's spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, the government stepped into the markets this uh, week and, and spent a, a tidy sum, a uh, couple of a couple of trillion in, in expenditures and four trillion in uh, monetary stimulation, uh, quantitative easing. I think they want to call it, it. It just really sounds like printing money to me. But what did, what did the market was the reaction positive to that? What was your assessment? Well, they passed the bill uh, two Fridays ago, so not yesterday, but the Friday before sure, the yeah. bill. Uh, was signed in. And um, 
that week leading up to the signing on Friday, we saw the market jump nearly 20% in three days. Uh, so the velocity we're seeing in the market is truly unprecedented. Yeah. Um, and initially, folks would probably assume that the reason the market jumped up was in anticipation of the bill. We would say that probably helped a little, but the single biggest thing that caused the market to jump, in our opinion, that week was when the president said, we want to open the, reopen the economy by Easter. Because at the end of the day, and you're right, it is just, it's like playing Monopoly with the bank and they just keep printing money. At some point, somebody's going to have to pay for that. And what we would say is the biggest stimulus bill is not going to come out of Washington. It's going to come when small business owners open their doors again. Because the economy is the biggest stimulus for the economy. Yeah. Yeah, you and I have talked about that. The government simply cannot print enough money, even if they wanted to. They can't print enough money to make up for the revenue that's not being generated by the business that isn't happening at the moment. That's right. And so, um, well, that's very um, interesting. One last question I'll, I'll, I'll ask you. Did you. Does it trouble you, the amount of um, you know, monetary stimulation that's going on, this quantitative easing? Do you think that that's laying the... the, the groundwork for problems down the road what what is what is the general consensus in in your in, in your mind on that yes i think um you know and there's a lot of uh, uh conversation around the 2.2 trillion dollar um, stimulus bill but when you factor in all the goodies that everybody threw in that nearly 900 page bill and we're talking about the cares act the coronavirus aid relief and economic security act sure um it, it, it's it's six to eight trillion dollars, and let's just pause for a moment to, to to add some some color to that. At the end of President Bush number two's first term in two thousand four, the total national debt for its entire history was seven trillion dollars. Yeah. We just wrote a check for the same amount that forty something presidents had accumulated in a matter of two weeks. Yeah. So it, it is, and again, obviously there's inflation adjusted dollars and those sorts of things, but it doesn't knock that much off of it. No, and you're right. What's what's really going to mask it, Reese? Is think about it from like an individual family's perspective. If you make an income and you have debt, well, as long as you keep increasing your income and revenues and assets, hypothetically, you could keep increasing your debt. Uh, and not really have much of an impact. So what has masked the actual um, uh, devastation that this kind of debt does is the country's assets have continued to grow and the country's revenues have continued to grow. And so their ability in a low interest rate environment to service that debt has really masked just how astronomical it is. And all that's really done is kick, and, and we hear this term a lot, kick the can down the road, but there is no company, no family, no individual, and certainly no country that can have an unlimited amount of debt and not ultimately pay the piper for it and, and have that note come due. When and how that works, no one knows. Yeah. I, I feel personally, Justin, that we're just kind of, we're on the razor's edge. We really are. We've sort of walked up to the inflection point and probably, as you said, it took us 43 presidents to get to $6 billion and we spent $6 billion in one fell swoop. And, you know, that included, by the way, a um, billion dollars for Amtrak, you know, 7.5 million for the Smithsonian, 25 million for the Kennedy Center, 
Um, 30, 350 million for migration and refugee assistance. I mean, what it, that doesn't really strike me as fighting the coronavirus, but and that was after we had a couple of roundabouts over all the pork that the Democrats were trying to pour in there. So, well, listen, Justin, I want to thank you for your time and your insights. Uh, again, folks, we've been talking to Justin. Justin Kramer. I started to say Justin Powell. Justin Kramer at Powell Financial. Justin, if folks want to get in touch with you, how can they how can they reach you at Powell Financial? Yeah, Reese, the easiest way is either on our website, uh, uh, powellfinancialservices.com, or our uh, local telephone number, which is 843-945-4480. And we are committed. Um, you know, we have a fairly large team. We have 11 uh, folks on our team that service clients in 26 states. And we're committed to helping folks in this community navigate and get to the other side of this because we truly are, you know, in this together. Now's the time to, to love and serve our neighbors. And that's what we want to do. Well, listen, Justin, we appreciate your time and your thoughts and your insights. Thanks for joining us. And we'll talk again soon. Take care. Be well. Thanks, Reese. That's Justin Kramer, folks, with Powell Financial Services. Thank you, Justin. Folks, stick around. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Saturday morning coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour returns after these on Talk 94.5. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk 94.5. Can keep my hands to myself. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, your host. It is 8.35, 8.36 on your Saturday morning, Saturday, April 4, 2020. I don't know about you, Glenn, but I'm I'm happy to see March in the rearview mirror. Yeah, yeah if we get through April, it'll be um, something. Hopefully, everything will improve by then. And I'm, I'm looking forward to summer, but... We'll see how April works out for us. Uh, interesting item from uh, the FBI. The FBI has warned, as we were just talking before the break with Justin Kramer from Powell Financial Services. Thank you, Justin, for that uh, very informative interview. Um, uh, we were talking about the different ways that people are learning to do business, learning to live, work, and play in the pandemic environment. Many folks have been using Zoom, which is a software platform for teleconferencing, video conferencing, and the FBI has warned of video conferencing hijacking amid the increased use of the Zoom platform during the coronavirus pandemic. As more Americans, uh, this from Fox News, as more Americans rely on video conferencing for work to keep connected to loved ones amid the novel coronavirus pandemic, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, is warning of potential hijacks of video conferencing applications. Overnight, this uh, was uh, published April 1. Overnight, the FBI highlighted two incidents in Massachusetts related to the popular video conference app Zoom. In late March 2020, a Massachusetts-based high school student reported that while a teacher was conducting an online class using the teleconferencing software, an, unavi- an unidentified individual dialed into the classroom 
That individual yelled a profanity and then shouted the teacher's home address in the middle of instruction. A release from the Boston FBI field office said a second Massachusetts-based school reported a Zoom meeting being accessed by an unidentified individual as well. Interestingly enough, Mm. we had Rob Chang from PCmatic on the the morning show with Liz on Friday. Rob was very insightful, gave us some good advice about telecommuting in the coronavirus era. Uh, He actually suggested as an alternative to Zoom that users consider using WebEx or Skype. I don't know if y'all are familiar with those platforms, but those platforms, according to Rob, are a little bit more secure and offer true end-to-end encryption for users, according to Mr. Chang. Interestingly enough, Zoom advises its users that it's end-to-end encrypted, but according to the folks at PCmatic, they're not really sure if that's correct or not. I think there's a trade-off in these apps between convenience and security. And one of the things that I've noticed in using Zoom is it is very convenient, uh, but apparently may not be the most uh, secure app on the market. Interestingly enough, uh, as most of you know, I practice law. The bar has uh, been publishing guidance for uh, conducting various legal proceedings, such as mediations uh, by teleconference. And one of the uh, apps that has been uh, talked about in these discussions, these publications uh, that we've received from the Supreme Court and the bar and other other authorities has been Zoom. So I think uh, the folks at Zoom will be working to uh, clamp that down a little bit, but uh, be aware of the potential for your Zoom meeting being bombed, according to the FBI. A lot going on. I did want to get to some questions about uh, the coronavirus uh, originations and some of the things that we're learning about China. One of the questions that I have shared with you guys from the beginning, which I think are important to continue to press until we get to the bottom of, are how exactly did this uh, pandemic start? I think that's a, a fundamentally significant question because there's really basically two possibilities. Uh, One possibility is that it was the natural evolution of a virus that uh, was occurring in animals and it did make its way into the human population, potentially in a wet market in Wuhan, China, in Hubei province. Let's not rule that out. I don't think we know enough to know that that didn't happen. Uh, The other alternative, of course, is that man was involved in the uh, engineering or creation of this virus. And there's a lot being written online and and over the uh, uh, Internet and in print that that may still be a possibility. I read an interesting article, Glenn, that was talking about the fact that this this virus could not have been uh, man-made because, and this was, I think, from the World Health Organization was publishing this document, that the virus, if you look at the structure of the virus genetically, it was more closely related to viruses that infect animals than previous than previous. Uh, viruses that have infected humans, like the SARS. To me, that whole uh, theory that they espouse that it couldn't have been man-made because it was it was starting with a with with a, a building block that was more akin to animal viruses than human viruses. That's just an assumption. It had a genetic um, signature uh, from a horseshoe bat. Yeah, and but 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 my point is, if somebody working in a genetics bioengineering lab Mm -hmm. in China, if they make a discovery that a particular virus, even though it has primarily infected animals in the past, if they can learn to tweak it in the lab in such a way that it makes the jump to humans, Mm -hmm. then who's to say that they wouldn't engineer that in the lab? If they can make that 
you know, if that's within the realm of possibility. And I don't know if that's true or not, but there's some very interesting stuff that's being uh, written. Um, interestingly enough, Dr. Burks uh, this week indicated because of China, and this, of course, Dr. Deborah Burks, who is uh, one of the individuals leading up the um, the White House uh, task force on the coronavirus pandemic, stated that due, she did this in a town hall on Fox News Channel on Thursday, stated that due to holes in the data reported by China, we don't know how contagious, we did not know how contagious coronavirus was. Burks said at the time when this virus struck, I was working very intently on HIV at the time and was overseas in sub-Saharan Africa, watching the data coming in from China. And I think when we looked at the profile first, there was a question about human to human transmission, obviously in a virus, that's the key. And she goes on to say that basically the Chinese have misled us and that because the Chinese have misled us. And I think it's very, very clear, folks, the Chinese have indeed um, Misleading is a bit of an understatement. I think the Chinese have directly lied and misrepresented the facts to us. They have disclosed certain things that were not true. They have also failed to disclose many things that they could have disclosed that, uh, that would have been helpful that they have kept uh, to themselves. And uh, so I think that's one of the things that we have to be cognizant of and continue to press until we get to the bottom of it. And it may take many months, even years, to get to the bottom of where this virus originated. But folks, we need to get to the bottom of it. We need to figure out whether this virus originated in a bioethics, uh, uh, excuse me, bio uh, weapons research facility in China, perhaps. And there is such a facility in Wuhan, China. Or was it in fact uh, the natural product just of a virus making a, a transmission leap uh, from animal to human in the wet markets uh, in, in Wuhan, China? And if in fact those wet markets are the source of uh, the, the virus, and it was a natural pro uh, progression and evolution that infected humans out of the wet market, then those wet markets need to be closed. This doesn't need to happen again to the extent that it can be prevented. And obviously some of the things going on in the wet markets, I don't know if you guys have researched it, it's really just, it's, uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, and, and the conditions that are in there, and it's, uh, uh, it, this is not the first <clears throat> virus that has originated in, in these settings. Absolutely. And, and so, yeah. you know, you, you wonder why we weren't, uh, again, uh, the question, the second question that I've asked uh, from the beginning here is you really wonder why we weren't better prepared. Of course, Dr. Burks has said, look, if the Chinese had been more forthcoming, we would have known this was more contagious. One of the things that had puzzled me from the outset, it seemed to me in early uh, February, the, the president was uh, making pronouncements along the lines of this isn't going to be a major issue. And then mm -hmm. suddenly, almost overnight, his pronouncements took on a much more dire color. So it's a, it's a very interesting question. We need to get to the bottom of it, and we need to keep pressing the Chinese uh, for answers on these subjects. And ultimately, we need to determine one way or the other uh, where these viruses originated and how they came into being. And uh, the Chinese have not been honest with us on these issues. They have not been forthcoming, and they have uh, misled. They have lied to the world, and many people have died as a result. Um, so we'll be discussing that more. We need to continue to discuss that. We don't need to let that question drop. It needs to be answered. And uh, we'll be right back, folks. Stick with us. Uh, after these words from our sponsors, we'll be back with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town.
local news, and more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Two full hours on Talk 94.5. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is 8.49 on your Saturday morning, Saturday, April 4, 2020. Hope you've enjoyed Saturday Morning Coffee this morning. You're into the final parting wisdom segment of Saturday Morning Coffee. A lot to talk about today. We, we had some great calls. Didn't get to everything that I wanted to cover, but we'll uh, stick that in the stack for next week. Hope you guys will, uh, will uh, join us then. Did want to cover a few more items Glenn was mentioning before the break that there was uh, that there was a, ge- a genetic link to uh, existing virus um, that was um, in the horseshoe bats of China. Interestingly, I found a study. This is a UNC University of North Carolina Chapel Hill study from March of 2016. It says a new SARS-like virus is poised to infect humans. The new virus, known as WIV1 Cove directly binds to the same human receptor as the SARS strain that infected thousands in 2002. I think that was that number should be more than thousands, but nonetheless, the uh, summary of the article is a SARS-like virus found in Chinese horseshoe bats may be poised to infect humans without the need for adaptation, overcoming an initial barrier that could potentially set the stage for an outbreak, according to a study at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The work, led by Ralph Barrick, Ph.D., professor of epidemiology, comes on the heels of two recent high-profile outbreaks, Ebola and Zika, for which there are no vaccines. The two outbreaks combined to claim thousands of lives and cost billions in foregone economic growth. And, of course, what we're going through now, I would submit to you what we have already been through, uh, Ebola and Zika combined pale in comparison to what we are experiencing now. And, folks, we're not even at the end of the tunnel. And this uh, article was written in March of 2016, and it makes you wonder, again, one of my fundamental questions, why does it seem like we were not more and better prepared uh, for this outbreak? Somebody on Facebook sent me this interesting item, and I don't remember who it was. Uh, I would thank you, but I can't remember who sent it to me. I only have about 5,000 friends on Facebook, so I apologize. But I will uh, give credit when I remember. I just don't remember in this instant. But uh, at Johns Hopkins, the Center for Health Security at Bloomberg School of Public Health, in October of 2019, they hosted a conference. And the conference was about, if you can believe this, a, a simulation of a novel coronavirus pandemic. The event was Event 201. And the summary, which is available online, I can, I'll, uh, I'll tweet out a link to it. It says, the Event 201 simulates an outbreak of a novel 
zoonotic coronavirus transmitted from bats to pigs to people that eventually becomes transmissible from person to person leading to severe pandemic. The pathogen and the disease it causes are modeled largely on SARS, but it is more transmissible in the community setting by people with mild symptoms. Does that sound familiar? The disease starts in pig farms in Brazil quietly, slowly, but then starts to spread more rapidly when it starts to spread efficiently from person to person in the low-income, densely-packed neighborhoods of some of the cities of South America. The epidemic explodes, and it gives the historical precedent for this fictional exercise, this simulation that these folks, many of them from the CDC, by the way, who got together at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health to simulate, to discuss. And this happened again in October of 2019. There is no possibility of a vaccine being available in the, in the first year. There is a fictional antiviral drug that can help the sick, but not significantly. Since the whole human population is susceptible during the initial months of the pandemic, the cumulative number of cases increases exponentially, doubling every week. As cases and deaths accumulate, the economic and social consequences become increasingly severe. I don't know if any of that sounds familiar to y'all. The scenario ends at the 18-month point with 65 million deaths. The pandemic is beginning to slow due to the decreasing number of susceptible people. In effect, the virus is running out of people to infect. (laughs) The Johns Hopkins University subsequently issued the following statement about their October 2019 seminar. The statement is as follows. In October 2019, the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security hosted a pandemic tabletop exercise called Event 201 with partners, the World Economic Forum, And, interestingly enough, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Recently, the Center for Health Security has received questions about whether the pandemic exercise predicted the current novel coronavirus outbreak in China. To be clear, this again is John Hopkins talking, to be clear, the Center for Health Security and partners did not make a prediction during the tabletop exercise. For our scenario, we modeled, you you hear a lot about that these days, we modeled a fictional coronavirus pandemic. But we explicitly stated that it was not a prediction. Instead, the exercise served to highlight preparedness and response challenges that would likely arise in a very severe pandemic. We are now, are not now predicting, excuse me, that the uh, COVID-2019 outbreak will kill 65 million people. Although our tabletop exercise included a mock novel coronavirus, the inputs we used for modeling the potential impact uh, yada, 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 are not similar to COVID-19. But just an interesting uh, coincidence. It's just, it makes me wonder why we weren't more, again, prepared. And I know that's, it's easy to armchair quarterback all these various folks at various uh, locations throughout society who were discussing these things. But it just makes one wonder where exactly the preparedness burden should fall. Mm-hmm. Folks, uh, I found this interesting piece for the for the uh, parting wisdom for the day from the next uh, aisle of the supermarket in Southwest Florida the other morning. This is Bob Green in the Wall Street Journal. It sounded like a fistfight. I followed the raised voices, and I shouldn't have been surprised. It was all about toilet paper. The argument was over the last four packages on the shelves. One man wanted all of them for himself. The other was furious that the first fellow wasn't willing to share. And then he talks about um, uh, the rationing coupons that were printed during the uh, during World War II, and how those um, uh, rationing coupons were shared. As I watched the men get in each other's faces, a memory came back, a little booklet of coupons that we used to uh, receive during World War II. 
and it had been issued in 1942. And it talked about how this woman shared her coupons. Uh, she that that they in this community, all of the members of the community gave their rationing coupons to a restaurant that served primarily servicemen on their way to war. And he says, this is how, during a dark American time, those ration coupons were used to provide sustenance for others. It was the opposite of every man for himself. Do we still have that spirit inside us today? When supplies are short, sharing them with strangers may not be easy, yet it can send a precious message, one that begs to be heard in terrible times. You are not alone. And folks, I, I had an interesting conversation, and I know we are uh, about out of time, but I wanted to share uh, one thing with you. You know, there's one source of peace for me in all this, and I can't go through a pandemic. There is one source of peace in this world, and it's not having a basement full of cans of pork and beans, and it doesn't come from having a, a garage full of toilet paper. There is uh, one source of peace in this world, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you want to talk about that, I encourage you to get in touch with me because I'd love to talk about it with you. Um, that is the one source of peace, and it's peace even in the midst of pandemic. Let me leave you, as I always do, with this bit of wisdom from the Proverbs. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Y'all be blessed. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay well. Join us next week for more Saturday morning coffee. Have a great week. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5.